As I say before each episode, this podcast is not intended to be an extremely elaborate or detailed response on any of the events that I cover over the course of the podcast. It is only meant to be a general overview of everything that took place that I do cover. If you'd like to learn more, as I always say, please visit your local library. I'm sure there's a book about it. Enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. The podcast is Tanner Talks About Stuff That Happened. I am Tanner, and I'm going to be talking about stuff that happened. And the stuff that happened that we're going to be talking about today is an event that has gone down in American history as one of the most pivotal in history, at least in American history. So today we're going to be talking about the Boston Tea Party. So before we start, if you have enjoyed the podcast so far, please head over to Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts and drop a five-star review so it can really help us get other people involved in the conversations about history and why it's so important. So I grew up in the United States and I can't speak for every other country and how much you know about American history and how important American history is to the history of other countries. So I can only speak for the public education system of the United States. But growing up in the United States, this event, the Boston Tea Party, is basically mythical. I mean, a bunch of guys dressing up as Native Americans and dumping a bunch of British tea into the Boston Harbor in an organized act of political protest? That's pretty awesome. I still see memes on the internet referencing the night that it all went down, and the events of the Boston Tea Party have been immortalized in American history as one of the first dominoes falling in a series of dominoes that would result in the American Revolutionary War. I don't say the first, I just say one of the first. So for those who did not grow up in the United States of America, yes, if you're if, if this is not an event that you're familiar with, a bunch of guys dressed up as Native Americans in 1773 and boarded a British ship carrying hundreds of chests of tea with the sole intention of dumping all of them into the ocean. No death, no torture, no macabre, nothing. Just me and the boys dumping 92,000 pounds of tea. That's about 42, that's, that's about 40,000 kilograms for the, the folks across the pond into the Boston Harbor to show Great Britain that we didn't want to pay taxes on it. So in this podcast, I'm going to cover three different things. First, what is taxation without representation? Second, what were the taxes imposed on the colonists and why were they so upset by them? And third, what actually happened on the night of the Boston Tea Party? All right, let's do it. Number one. What is taxation without representation? This was a term I became familiar with when I was in middle school, even elementary school, but I never knew exactly what it meant. I was taught that it was one of the reasons why the colonists were so done with Britain, and I'm sure that my teachers mentioned the definition, but I I guess I didn't care very much, or it wasn't relevant information to my immediacy. So now that I'm in college, I'm going back for a refresher. The British Empire in 1773 was basically the most powerful and affluent empire in the world. It had a substantial navy, an imposing army, and a globe-spanning economy consisting of mainland Britain along with 23 other colonies, British America included, all of which mainland Britain exploited for resources, chief among these being taxes among the colonists. In 1773, the British government instituted the Tea Act, which made it illegal in the 13 colonies to buy any tea not made in Britain or one of its overseas holdings. 
The residents of the 13 American colonies were already pretty upset by the Stamp Act of 1765 in which the British Empire imposed taxes on all paper goods in order to pay their debts from the Seven Years' War, lasting from 1756 to 1763. And this instigated a new wave of resentment toward the British crown. It's understandable that colonists would be upset that they have to pay for wars that they really didn't have much part in, but the real reason that the colonists were so upset was because no one from any of Britain's colonies had any say in these new laws, in these new acts, and the taxes enforced. They were not represented in British Parliament. British Parliament consisted solely of people from the British Isles, and no one from any of Britain's 23 different colonies. So the colonists were upset that they did not have a say in the taxes imposed in their colonies when the parliament that was instituting these taxes was 3,000 miles away. That's what taxation without representation means. So this brings us to number two. What was the Tea Act exactly? Well, let's back up. Have you ever watched the second or third movies in Disney's Pirates of the Caribbean franchise? If you haven't, I, I do highly recommend the first three. They are fantastic. But if you have, do you remember Cutler Beckett, the guy who wants to just control Davy Jones and says several times, it's just good business? Well, Cutler Beckett is a representative of an organization called the East India Trading Company, one of the most powerful companies in history and a true testament to the nasty side of capitalism. Founded in 1600, the East India Company was initially meant to challenge the Spanish and Portuguese monopoly of trade in the Indian Ocean and the other eastern seas, which it did successfully. Over time, the aspirations of the East India Trading Company grew, and eventually it was instrumental in establishing British colonies abroad, particularly in India, hence the name. Because of the increased presence of the East India Company abroad, the company started commissioning battleships to be privatized and enlisted purely for use by the company, eventually hosting a navy twice the size of the Royal British Navy. To make a long story short, the East India Trading Company monopolized the sale of most goods in the world, entirely by destroying, literally, the competition. They also smuggled a lot of opium and caused some wars and committed some crimes against humanity, but that's not what we're talking about today. In 1773, the British crown was growing wary of the power of the East India Trading Company, and to condense the following story, Britain passed the Regulating Act of 1773, and among a series of sweeping economic reforms, this act was a proclamation that essentially vested all control of the East India Company in the British government. Basically, Britain nationalized the British East India Trading Company. With the nationalization of the East India Trading Company, Britain hoped to reap all profits of the company to rebuild their own navy and fund future colonization efforts through, though pretty quickly, Britain realized that there was a thorn in their side hidden in the 13 American colonies, and that was the smuggling of tea from other countries, chiefly the Netherlands, than could be found with the East India Trading Company. At the time, over 80% of tea in the 13 colonies was Dutch. I mean, hey, they were cheaper. The Dutch trading company was East India Company's chief rival, and this discovery infuriated the British crown. And here we are again with the Tea Act in 1773. 
This act made it expressly illegal to purchase tea from anywhere except the freshly nationalized East India Company. And at the same time the Tea Act was passed, the British Parliament cut taxes on trade done by the East India Company in an attempt to keep the, keep the commerce afloat. But they still needed tax money to fund their conquests and wars, so they voted instead to impose taxes on their colonies around the world, chiefly the 13 American colonies, as they were the most affluent colonies of the time. So let's step back and look at the situation really quickly. American colonists, now often third or fourth generation born colonists, meaning they'd never set foot in Britain, were being forced to pay taxes to a king they had very little loyalty to and who had little interest in their well-being for debts they had no part in incurring due to wars they didn't care about while their overseas authority cut taxes on the very organization that monopolized trade in their colonies. I'm not sure about you, but I, I wouldn't be happy about that either. Okay, now I want to make one thing clear about this situation. The Tea Act actually lowered taxes on tea in the 13 colonies. King George III was aware that he was not well-liked among the colonists due to the Stamp Act and the Townsend Act, and this was his attempt to win their favor. But it ultimately backfired pretty gloriously. With the Tea Act, the colonists were fed up with the British Parliament 3,000 miles across an ocean dictating what they could and could not do, when their societies and geographies were vastly different. It was time for change. So the colonists decided that it, it was time to act. Here we are at number three. What happened? Shortly after the edict reached the 13 colonies about the Tea Act, protests broke out in several different harbors, and in Philadelphia, Charleston, and New York, protesters successfully persuaded consigners for the tea being shipped across the ocean to resign and abandon their shipments so no money would be returned to England. They were small victories, but gave the colonists the first taste of justice. They wanted more. These protests quickly spread to other colonies, and eventually, every colony except Massachusetts was able to force consigners to resign, delaying or eliminating any payment from returning to England for the tea their ships were carrying. Now we are into uh, November 29th, 1773 and a ship called the Dartmouth enters the Boston Harbor to a frenzied meeting called by Samuel Adams. Yes, the Samuel Adams the beer is named after. He didn't invent it, but he liked the sauce. Anyway, because tensions were high between Britain and the 13 colonies, thousands turned up to the meeting to see what new rebellion would take place. According to British law, the Dartmouth had 20 days to unload all of its cargo and pay duties to the colony, similar to tolls in a toll booth on the highway, or customs officials could confiscate the cargo. After the ship docked, regardless of any cargo being unloaded, a duty had to be paid. While Sam Adams held the meeting, 25 men were instructed to keep the Dartmouth from unloading any of its cargo. Adams assisted the assembly in drafting a resolution that the Dartmouth could be sent back to Britain without paying duty or unloading any cargo. The assembly approved the resolution, but the governor of Massachusetts, Thomas Hutchinson, refused to allow any such resolution to be carried out, so it was back to the drawing board. For the next 19 days, the assembly met and attempted to persuade the governor to change his mind to no avail. 
By December 16th, the last day of the Dartmouth's deadline, between 5,000 and 7,000 colonists, almost half of the population of Boston, had gathered at the Old South Meeting House to witness whatever resolution would be developed. With one final proposition, Samuel Adams and the Assembly asked for the passage of the Dartmouth to Britain without paying a duty to the colony. Thomas Hutchinson, again, refused outright. In response, Adams proclaimed, This meeting can do nothing more to save this country. That's a direct quote. Here's where things get a bit foggy. According to a biography of Samuel Adams, this statement was a secret code meant to instigate the further events of the Boston Tea Party. But this biography was written by Adams' great-grandson and was published nearly a century after these events took place, and there is no documentation preceding the publication of this biography to corroborate that evidence. What we know is that once this refusal to accept the terms of the departure of the Dartmouth reached the meeting, colonists reacted with anger, flooding out of the meeting house and toward the docks, while Samuel Adams attempted to regain control of the assembly. Some of these people were dressed in traditional Mohawk attire in a symbolic attempt to hide their identities. While in today's political climate, such an act could be considered highly racist, let's examine this a bit. Many of the men who participated in the Boston Tea Party were members of the underground organization known as the Sons of Liberty, founded around the same time the Stamp Act was passed. Among other members of the organization were Samuel Adams, the founder of the organization and likely one of the chief orchestrators of the Boston Tea Party, John Hancock, Paul Revere, Benedict Arnold, who would later be remembered as something akin to Judas to the revolutionaries, and our favorite revolutionary, or revolutionary orator, Patrick Henry. The Sons of Liberty were fiercely devoted to the cause of an independent American nation and identified strongly with that nation. It is believed that their reasoning for dressing up as Native Americans ran deeper than simply hiding their identities. It was a statement of their allegiance and their identification with the New World as a whole. They no longer saw themselves as subjects of Great Britain. This was their first true demonstration of rebellion against the ruling of the crown. And that demonstration played out like this. As darkness fell over Boston Harbor, estimates range between 30 and 130 men, many dressed as Mohawk Native Americans, boarded the Dartmouth, along with two other ships in the harbor, and dumped every last chest of tea on these vessels directly into the Boston Harbor, totaling over 300 chests. To put that into perspective, a chest of tea is about 80 to 100 pounds of tea. That is a lot of tea to throw into a harbor. After the tea was dumped, all colonists vanished into the darkness, unscathed. Not a single perpetrator of one of the most famous crimes in American history was caught. Estimated losses to the British East India Trading Company were around £10,000, equating to $1.7 million today. Whether or not Samuel Adams orchestrated the event cannot be known for certain, but what is known is that Samuel Adams set about publicizing it like mad starting the next morning, stating that it was not the act of a lawless mob, 
but a concentrated and principled effort by American patriots to demonstrate their intent to rebel. Patriotism in the 13 colonies was set ablaze with fervor, and Britain knew it had to act or things would quickly get out of hand. Furious, King George III closed the port of Boston until taxes from the colonists paid for the destroyed tea and instituted a series of laws that would be remembered as the Intolerable Acts. First, the Massachusetts Government Act took away all self-governing rights of the colony to, in Massachusetts and placed it firmly under the, the control of Great Britain, limiting town meetings to once a year and allowing only the king or parliament to elect a governor. Second, the Administration of Justice Act called for any colonists in Massachusetts accused of a crime to be tried in Great Britain, rather than in the 13 colonies. The colonists believed that in Great Britain, the courts would simply harass colonists until they had no money left to testify. Third, and most infamous, the Quartering Act. Colonists were instructed to house British soldiers in their towns and homesteads, I was taught growing up that British soldiers could be housed inside of colonists' houses with them, but many historians believe that this is a popular myth and British regulars would only be housed in unoccupied buildings. Remember, homesteads and houses are two different things. But still, this infuriated colonists. A distinct series of events led to the American Revolutionary War, and the Boston Tea Party could easily be grouped with these events. It invigorated the cause of freedom in the 13 colonies and infuriated King George III, causing him to institute the Intolerable Acts, which only served to heighten tensions between Britain and the 13 colonies. Only two years after the Boston Tea Party, Paul Revere would take his famous ride to call the colonists to arms, which they would, at the towns of Lexington and Concord, where the shot heard round the world would set off one of the most pivotal conflicts in modern history. So, that's the story of the Boston Tea Party. I hope you enjoyed the story, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Thank you for joining me again this week. I'll be back next week, as I am every week. And, uh, have a good week, you guys. Thanks for joining me again.